You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, we're continuing in our series called The Way, Practicing the Way of Jesus. And uh, if you want to follow along with us, please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Uh, like the others in this series, uh, these are kind of topical sermons that are going to be covered with much Scripture, showing us that these are not singularities as we look in the Scriptures and find one little thing to uh, bring our minds to a point of what we should do or how we should be that might be out of context. But instead, where the scriptures are replete with these ways of God that he has shown us in the way of Jesus. We're going to cover today one that has actually been, well, I think everybody kind of hears this early on in your walk. I think for me, this has been one of the most forming of all the practices because it is one that has really pressed upon me the daily necessity of, of seeking out to do this practice regularly. When I don't, I fail to be made in the image of God in that day, in the image of Christ. And when I do, the Lord is gracious and kind, and I think you'll find the same for you. It's one that I believe is missing for most of us in our busy lives. It's one that is difficult to do for those who are not uh, fond of looking at self very much, but one that is very necessary. And as we get going this morning, I want to encourage you, I know that today is our family worship day. You're going to hear my kids. We're probably going to hear your kids if they're here with us. You might hear them on our live stream. And uh, we welcome the noise of children in our time of worship. Uh, The Lord always welcomes the children. So I want you to hear that this morning as we get going. And this practice might help us today when we hear some children acting up. When you hear my kids doing something they shouldn't, uh, it might bring some things to your heart that you might need to do a little self-examination on. I know I do sometimes. And so I I hope that today as we look into this practice of self-examination, that it'll be one that you take seriously and that you recognize the great necessity we all have to learn it and to employ it and to see how God might transform us more into the person of Jesus, more into his image as we walk in it. And all of these, remembering, are there to show us that God is present in our lives and is present with us and always seeking to have us enjoy him as he enjoys us. And so let us walk together today in the way and let us see how God uses this time to help us be more like his son for his glory. I'm going to pray for us as we begin and then we're going to jump in to what's being talked about today. Father, I thank you for your goodness Lord, I thank you for your glory that you reveal to us in your word. I thank you, Lord, for the life change that you have placed in us who are your followers. And Lord, I thank you for the hope that leads us day to day and that lets us know that you are not done in bringing more and more into your kingdom, that you are not done in shaping us more and more into the people, your people, your sons and daughters, into the way you want us to be. So Lord, we ask you today to lead us and guide us and that you would receive glory in our time together. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's think for just a moment before we go too far that I don't know about you, but when I look at self, I don't usually like what I see. So I have learned over the years to be careful about how much I look at myself. 
Right, so this morning, I tried to look in the mirror before I left home to make sure that I didn't miss a button, that I uh, had brushed my teeth well, that I had combed my hair, all the things that you should do before you leave the house, that we encourage you to do before you leave the house. But I often find that when I leave, I immediately forget what I saw in the mirror because if I look too long, I see all the imperfections that I don't like about myself. And I don't want to think about those too much, so I, I tend to throw those out the door as I walk past the mirror. And I began to think about how good I looked that day. I look well enough, right? Uh, about how my shirt looks well enough or about how I'm, I'm going to be all right today. And I begin to think everything's good and right in the world as I step into the world and begin to think about what's coming next. But the way of Jesus has shown us that we should be doing a lot more than that as Christians when we look at ourselves in light of who he is and what he has done, that we should be continually looking at self in a way that we examine ourselves to see where we are in our walk with God and to see where we can be more in the presence of God, actively living with him and enjoying him. And I think that if all of us would work a little more in that vein, not to earn our salvation, but we just press a little bit more into that self-examination, I believe we would see much fruit and we would see much change and we'd see much even influx of others who want to find the hope that we found, even in our imperfections. It's all too easy, isn't it? So when we see others and they talk about how they know God and we see their lives and we think maybe they don't really know God the way that we think they should know God, that they don't really line up in their lives with what they say they believe, it's easy for us to see that life and to then worry for their souls, but not to think too much of our lives in that same way. I believe we can trust ourselves and be sure more of ourselves than than we really ought to be. And today I'm not here to make you just question your salvation. That is not the goal, although that is a part of examination. But today I'm here to help us to see how we can more enjoy the daily active presence of God in our lives and how we can be shaped more and more into the image of Christ as we become more like him. The scriptures are replete with instruction to do this. I'm just going to hit with a few things about why this is so important. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 tells us in verse Uh, 27 through 32, before we get to our psalm, hang in the psalm, we'll come there in a minute. Uh, Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper and how it's being taken wrongly. He says in verse 28, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's a hefty toss, isn't it? We can drink judgment on ourselves. He says, that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Or Matthew 7, I refer to this a lot because it pierces the heart in my own heart very deeply. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That is a frightful passage. Those who think they are his might not be. 
Philippians 2, 12 through 13, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It doesn't mean we earn it, that we work our salvation up to a place of earning it. It simply means that if we truly are saved, we will work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We will process through that life of becoming more like Jesus, that what we call sanctification, and we will work out that salvation, making sure that we really are his. And if we are his, that we see the graces of God working in our lives and changing us and shaping us and letting us see that we are doing what Jesus did, that we are becoming like him and that we are enjoying the presence of God in the process. But are we doing that, church, very often? This self-examination can make a major, major difference in our lives. Psalm 139, I think one of the best places to go to see this, the psalmist begins by just stating truths about the omniscience of God, his all-knowingness. It says in verse 1 of Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high I cannot attain it. He's pointing out that you know everything about me before I say a word, you know it's coming, that you know my thoughts before they come out of my mouth. You know everything there is to know about me. Your knowing is beyond me. And he says, it's wonderful. Isn't it also a little fearful? He says, it's wonderful. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Man, what goodness for those who are in Christ, for those who are the Lord's. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. He is worshiping because the Lord knows everything there is to know about him. And now we're going to see a little part here, by the way, which is hard to swallow. It's hard to put those things with what's to come. I don't understand them fully. But he says then in verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. These are serious statements that we find difficult to rationalize with the things we've just heard. These are statements that we are not 
easy to say. We, we, we don't want them to roll off our lips. But we see here that he doesn't seem to be walking in a way that's contrary to the word prior. He's, in a way, hating as the Lord hates and brings wrath. He's bringing judgment. He's asking for that judgment. He's saying that he is feeling the same way that God feels towards his enemies who have taken his name in vain and who come against him. But even there, the psalmist doesn't rely in the fact that he might be, in his mind at least, right in those things. He says in verse 23 and 24, where we're going to camp out, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Look at those two verses again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And this word is hard. But I'm going to make that our prayer today. Search us, O Lord. Know our thoughts. Try us and know our thoughts. Know our hearts. See if there be any grievous way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. See, it's not just here that we see these examination ideas, the self-examination. We see it in other places in Scripture. Lamentations 3.40, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Or Job 13.23, how many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. You see, we want to run away from it. We want to say, God, forgive me, and then let me get away from it. Instead, though, the Scriptures say here, how many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Those who are after the Lord, who are following the Lord, want to know their transgressions that they might repent and not fall into those traps again. Lord, show me my sin. Let me know if there's any grievous ways in me. Psalm 4, 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. You see that? When you lie down at night, ponder, ponder in your own hearts. Look into your own hearts when you're on your beds and be silent. Examine yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, takes it even another level. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? You see, we are commanded. That's a command. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. It's a continual command. It's not one that was just supposed to be one and done. It's over and over again. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. Let us test and examine our ways. But I think that we as the church, brothers and sisters, I, chief of all sinners, do not do this very often or do it very well. One of my favorite preachers, as I get too often, Spurgeon, when he was expounding on that passage in 2 Corinthians, he said a statement that has rang in my heart because it talks about me. He says, And here, let me appeal to each person now present. Do not tell me that you are an old church member. I'm glad to hear it, but still, I beseech you, examine yourself. For a man may be a professor of religion 30 or 40 years, and yet there may come a trial day when his religion shall snap over all and prove to be a rotten bough of the forest. Tell me not you are a deacon, that you may be, and yet you may be damnably deceived. Aye, and whisper not to me that you are a minister, 
my brethren in the ministry, we may lay aside our cassocks to wear belts of flames in hell. We may go from our pulpit, having preached to others what we never knew ourselves, and have to join the everlasting wailing of souls we have helped to delude. May God save us from such a doom as that. But let no man fold his arms and say, I need not examine myself, for there is not a man here or anywhere who has not good cause to test and try himself today. So search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. Prove us. See if there's any grievous way in us and lead us in the way your way of everlasting, the way of your son, Jesus. So why is self-examination, if it's so prevalent in the scriptures, why is it so difficult? Why is it so elusive? I think that self-examination is elusive for multiple reasons. I'm going to give you three today that I think are, we are most prone to. And these are some that I think we need to, to see and ask the Lord as we go about our way leaving here today, which of those do we fall into the camp most often? There may be multiple ones, but I bet there's at least one. The first of those is self-love. Now, I get it. Our culture tells us to love ourselves. Even the scripture does it, to love others as we love ourselves. That's what we're supposed to do. But the problem is, I think we love ourselves too much. We love ourselves over and above others. We love ourselves over and above what the scriptures say is healthy. Our culture tells us it's about getting our way. It's about getting things the way we want them, to do it exactly as we think it should be, exactly as what's best for our hearts, when really, though, our hearts can be deceptive. And we can love ourselves so much that it actually hinders our own self-examination. Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Other translations say heart because that's all the same in the Old Testament. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the the heart is deceitful above all things. That's a big statement. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, I believe that we love ourselves too much to look into the mirror of Scripture and see where we might need to examine ourselves and repent and believe more on the Lord. I think that's a problem for me. Self-love can hinder our self-examination. Secondly, one you might fall into Presumption leads us into false security. Presumption that leads us into false security. That's a little bit more of a heady statement, a way to put it, but let's just listen to the scriptures. James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's more like us, right? I look in the mirror and I then presume everything's okay and I can walk away not thinking about myself very much because I don't like what I see, I don't like what I know. And so the problem is we forget what we actually looked at and we see that there are changes that need to be made but we don't want to look at that because that's too hard to do. So we presume that we're all right. And that comes up the most when we see others. And we're presumptuous in our estate when compared to the estate of others. We think, hey, I'm all right. I'm better than that one. Hey, that one's doing really not so good right there. I'm glad I'm not like that. 
It leads us into a sense of false security. But the psalm, Psalm 19, 12, who can discern his errors? You realize that our sinfulness wraps itself into our minds as well, and so our logic is even tainted with it. So the psalmist declares that who can discern his errors? That's the biggest problem, isn't it? Most of us are not self-aware. Self-awareness is a major issue in our lives. Some of us have friends or spouses that point out some things we need to be aware of. Amen? That's helpful. We should praise the Lord for it. But who can discern his errors? He declares to God, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and ignorant of great transgression. We've heard Jesus talk about the same thing. He told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is, take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is a problem for me. I don't know about you. So quickly do I see the speck in a brother's eye, but not notice the giant log of the same issue that's in my own eye. We must examine ourselves. And this presumption that we don't have any logs is a real issue. In 1 John, it says, those who say they have no sin lie, and the truth is not in you. So thirdly, if it's not presumption in that way, or if it's not... As we started off with, this self-love that hinders us. The third one is that we are easily deceived, especially by our own selves. The self-deception. Look how far I've come. I'm not that bad. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. Sound familiar in your heart? Doesn't mind. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Thank you, Lord. Revelation 3, Jesus is, uh, is talking to the churches. He says, I know your works to this church. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He says, for you say I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. How many of us at least live our lives in a way where we act as if we are rich and prosperous and need nothing? Have no need of anybody to show me anything. I have no need to start off with the Lord revealing anything to me. I have no need of the Lord interjecting in my day. I have no need of anyone helping me through anything. How presumptuous are we like this? He says this, For you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. This is for us, brothers and sisters. Let us not be deceived. We think that we are rich and prosperous, but we have need of everything that we have or ever need. And the Lord alone is the owner of it. And he gives as his grace desires to do so. We think that we are clothed and beautiful, and instead we are naked and horrible to the eye. And we need to be clothed in his righteousness, because our righteousness is like filthy rags. 
And we can't see it because we're blind. We need him to anoint the salve in our eyes so that we can see the truth and not be deceived anymore. Please, Lord, search us, O God. Know our hearts. Try us. Prove us. Know our thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in us. And then lead us in the way everlasting. So how do we do it? It's a great question. It's a lifelong process. And it's one that I believe is simple in statement, but difficult in living out. So let me give you just three simple steps for the self-examination process. The first, you probably have guessed, study the word of God as our rule of faith. We must spend time looking into this word of God. You know why? Because this is the reflection of God's goodness and glory and perfection to us. This shows us who he is and what he's done and what he's promised to do and what he commands of us. This tells us those things so that when we look into the perfect law, we then can examine ourselves and say, am I living that out? It's not always fun. It's not easy, but it's never promised to be easy. But the outcome is joyous as we can glorify him and enjoy him and recognize that he's working in us and how we are being shaped more and more to be like Jesus. And in such trials of self-examination, this is the way. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God uses his word to cut us to the soul and show us where we need to be different. It's the only true mirror, mirror on the wall that reflects the truest state of our souls. Others will never reflect that. How do we know God? We know it because of Jesus. How do we know Jesus? We know it because of his word. And when we study the Bible prayerfully, seeking to see and understand where we fall short and need to repent, we are walking in his ways. Psalm 119, when I think on my ways... He says to God, I turn my feet to your testimonies. You see? So let us then become familiar with the marks that are proper to only a true Christian. There's plenty of places in Scripture to find those marks. Let me give you just a couple. Galatians 5, through 23. And as I do, as I read them, I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you, and I want you to look at yourself, and I want you to, to listen and say, where have I failed in these even today or yesterday? Examine yourself. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Oh, Lord, I need to repent. Where are we? As we sit before the word, we can read that so quickly. Examine self, brothers and sisters. Let us see where we fall short. Colossians 3, 1 through 17, one of my favorites. The Lord is pressing me into this text over and over for weeks. If then you've been raised with Christ. In other words, if you're a Christian, if you've been saved, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Are we setting our minds on things that are above? Do we recognize and walk in the fact that we are dead men and women walking? That in Christ we have life. Our life is hidden with Christ. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then he goes into kind of a rant, but not really a rant. It's a a listing out of the things we should put to death in our lives if we are his. He starts off in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. Remembering, brothers and sisters, that Jesus said that lusting in the heart is like living out the action physically. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Another list. Listen, let's just, just, just listen and let them permeate and ask, is this me? But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Say that we're being renewed in the knowledge of our faults and of the perfections of Christ, renewed continually over and over again as we stare into these truths about who Christ is. These are all pictures of Jesus, who he is. Not walking in those evils, but also, yes, walking in these good things. Is having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, so in other words, if then you've been raised with Christ, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is a command, do this, put these on, compassionate hearts. I find myself yesterday in a moment of compassionate service, finding that my compassion wavered quickly. I was not like Jesus in his long suffering. I was quick to judgment in a way of presumption in my own heart and sin instead of remaining compassionate in my service. But the Lord used another in my presence to shock me back into repentance. Thank you, Lord. I am so broken. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness. By the way, that means being able to be steered by the Lord easily. And patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. How many of us yesterday even did not have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts at some moments and we were ruling or being ruled by the anxiety or the worry or the anger or malice? Instead, let us be like Christ. You see, examining ourselves. You could take this and walk through each one every day and be overwhelmed with the amount of time it takes to repent before the Lord. But oh my, how he might change us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Were you doing that? That's a command to you. Were you singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs yesterday to the Lord? 
Even they're not like Jesus. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let this word of God be our rule of faith. Let this be what drives us. Secondly, I've already been talking about it, but it must be said out loud. As we study the word of God in this way, let us ask God to reveal the true state of our hearts, of our souls. It's easy to read it and then not ask him. I go through this regular reading of the Psalms, and as I do that, it's easy for me just to read through it kind of quickly and say, oh, yeah, that's good. I wish somebody else could hear this. I wish, I wish you would do this, Lord. Oh, yeah, this. But no, examine myself. Lord, show me the true estate of my soul. Is this me? Let us pray with the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and prove me. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It starts with not trusting in your own heart. We already talked about how that is difficult, right? Trust not in your own heart. It's deceptive and sick. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, he says, to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So don't trust in your own heart, but instead trust in the all-knowing God who searches our hearts and minds. I was, I was reading that sermon from Spurgeon. He had a prayer that resonated in my heart that I needed to hear at the time. I'm going to share with you. Maybe one of you needs to hear it. He said, one of the prayers I often pray and desire to pray as long as I live is this. Lord, let me know the worst of my case. If I've been living in a false comfort, Lord, rend it away. Let me know just what I am and where I am. And rather, let me think too harshly of my condition before you than think too securely. And so be ruined by presumption. May that be a prayer of each heart and be heard in heaven. And what if the Lord would continually show us? We don't like to see that. You and I don't want to feel that. I don't know about you. I don't want to feel how bad I am. I don't want to see how bad I am. I don't want to taste of that over and over again. But the good thing is, is when he does that, when he shows that to you, it, it's like sweetness to us who are in Christ because, yes, we, we, we hate our sin and we, we want to get it off of us. And so we turn it over to the Lord and ask forgiveness and immediately we receive his grace and mercy in that. Psalm 26, 2. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Proverbs 17, 3. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. If you go back to this Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. That word try me is the same thing talked about right here in Proverbs 17, 3. It's a crucible. It's a furnace where they would take these, these ores, these metals, these precious metals, and put them in, and they would, they would, it would melt them down, and all the impurities would rise to the top, and they would take something and wipe that away and have a more pure metal at that point, a more pure, precious metal. And that's what God does to us. The Lord tests our hearts in that way. When we're praying this thing, we're saying, Lord, put me in the fire. Know my thoughts. Know my heart. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Scoop the junk off, Lord. Help me. I promise this. If you ask the Lord to reveal your sin, he will do so. 
And it will not be fun in the moment, but it will be good, and it will be joyful in the end, and it will be so, so refreshing for our, our souls. So not only to read the word, not only do we trust in the Lord and ask him to reveal that to us, but lastly, you know, make sure of this one thing, church. It's so easy right here to think that we do all these things and we're kind of earning our way, but listen, listen, the last thing, the most important, I believe, always is to ensure that the resting of our souls is in Christ alone. It's in Christ alone. It's not in how well you did today fighting those sins. It's not in how much grace you've received from the Lord over those sins and those moments as you repent of them. It's resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you as he died in your place. The graces of God that are revealed in self-examination are worthy of celebrating Yes, we should celebrate them. Praising the Lord should also be what happens. They're so worthy of praising that giver of grace. But the graces of God are not just what we praise the Lord for, and they are definitely not what justify us before a holy and righteous God. Only Jesus justifies us. Only the giver of grace in the person of Jesus and his work for us on the cross is what declares us right with God, not our ability to repent of sin. So while we should examine self, ask the Lord to reveal our sins, repent of them, and turn to the Lord, it is never that that is what brings us justification in our relationship with God. It is always Jesus and Him crucified. Always Jesus and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Paul reminds us, because of Him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification. That's what we're talking about. Self-examination, repentance, sanctification, and redemption. He is those things for us. Because of the Father, not because we earn it, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is where it should lead us to to boasting in the Lord. Our justification is in Christ alone, and this is where we find ultimate rest and salvation. The graces of God are good, but that's not what brings us in relationship with God. That's what helps us become more like Jesus. And that does bring us joy. You see, being justified in Christ, we are now freed up in our hearts to willfully and eagerly beseech the Lord to reveal our sin. For he has proven himself that he will not leave us because of our sin. And he only wants the best for us. The gospel proves this. On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. And as he looked out upon the crowd, he not only saw them, but he had in his heart, held tightly to his bosom, to his heart, us whom he died for on the cross on that day, with all of our knowledge of all of our sins, knowing that he, bared, he bore the weight of all those sins on him all at once on the cross, he looked out across that way and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he spoke across us as well for those who would be redeemed by him. And he bore all of our sins on the cross, bringing us true salvation, true hope. And he looked at us now as we sin. We don't have to worry when he looks at us when we fail. We don't have to worry that he looks at us and says, come on. He doesn't do that. He says, no, come here. You're mine. I died for you. I covered that. I washed it away in my blood. I forgive you. And he clothes us with his righteousness. And he puts his ring on our finger. And he invites us to the party. The party in our honor before the great God of the universe. What a glorious 
God we serve, who not only is our God, but who's our Father. What a faithful brother, our Savior, Jesus. When we suffer, we know that we don't just suffer with someone in the room that's there with us like Christ in the Spirit, but who holds our hand and understands suffering because he suffered with us on the cross. So when we examine ourselves and he reveals our sin, we can know that he looks at us with eyes of love and mercy and grace and kindness. And in him, we have forgiveness. You know, none of us are going to be taken into heaven by what we profess to be but we will all be weighed and tried by the all-knowing, omniscient God of heaven and earth. And he will try us and prove us. He will prove what we are. He will prove who we are. And he will prove whose we are. That's what he does in revealing our sin that we might repent and believe even more. So let us see our sin and return to the Lord and praise him. As we close, Joel 2 brings us hope. He says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. So search us, Lord. Search us, God. Try our hearts. Prove us. Know our thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in us, Lord. And if so, lead us to repentance that we might walk in the way, the ancient way, the way of everlasting, the way of your son, Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never heard this gospel and today that you have turned their hearts of stone to the hearts of flesh that they might receive this good news about Jesus, I pray, Lord, they would repent and believe in you and today become your child. Lord, we would love to be a part of that process today, that you would let us be a part of seeing your kingdom grow. If someone's listening to us today, watching this today, and needs to repent and believe in Jesus, that you would not let them come out of your grasp, but that you would draw them to faith as you woo them with the gospel of your son, Jesus, and that their hope would be renewed, that our souls would be refreshed, and as you reveal our sin, Lord, that we would praise you for loving us enough to show us where we can become more like your son, Jesus. Lord, help us to walk on the way. Help us to hope in the one who is the way, who is the life, who is the truth, who is Jesus, your son. In his name we ask and pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helps you to be more like Jesus as Twelfth Street seeks to make apprentices of Jesus by being a family for families.